3: This is the Cats Roundtable. John and teams here Sunday morning. What a great show we have for you today. Dick Morris, and he's always mysterious about what he's going to talk about. We have Senator Tommy Tuberville from Arkansas. We have Roger Stone. Interesting, what I could say. Dr. Bill Parker on what's really going on in Northern Israel. Dr. Peter Michalos, how do we live long and prosper? And we have Curtis LeGrate, National Association of Broadcasts, update on what's going on at AM radio. Let's start off with Senator Tom Cotton. With us today is Senator Tom Cotton from the great state of Arkansas. Uh, Senator Cotton, the border, first of all, you're in Arkansas, that's your home
1: state. Uh, what's going on over there? Hey, John, it's good to be on with you. The border is a total crisis. Uh, just last month, we had more than 300,000 people cross our border. To give you a sense of scale, John, that would be, if annualized down over a 12-month period, more than the entire state of Arkansas. And you said, we're very close to the border. Uh, all those drug traffickers just drive straight up I-30 from Dallas into Arkansas with fentanyl and heroin that are going to poison our kids. But when you have 300,000 people crossing a year, John, every state is a border state. Every state is struggling with the opioid epidemic that's killing more than 100,000 Americans each year. They're struggling with the strain that so many illegal migrants put on public health care systems and housing and schools and so on and so forth. And this is all Joe Biden's doing. Uh, Our border was totally, totally under control when Donald Trump left office. Joe Biden made a choice. To open up our border and now he says he needs congress to act to close our border and help secure it he doesn't need congress to act we i would like to act if we can take action that will constrain him and limit his discretion and force him to close the border but he has it in his power to act and it would probably help if he would take action showing some good faith that he understands the crisis he has created
3: i hate to blame any president but he is to blame on this one. He He's created that problem. The people of the United States are suffering. And I understand there are soldier-aged people coming through the borders. To thousands
1: and thousands.
3: Future terrorists. And, and uh, Christopher Ray, the, the FBI director, has pressed the red button and said, we're in danger, and it's just a matter of time when somebody's going to press the button and we're going to have another... Major uh, problem. I live in New York, so we're always the target, but it could be anywhere in the country.
1: Sure, John. And, you know, that's the thing that people should know about Report. It's not just a, a bunch of young Mexican men or Central American men coming here who want to, you know, get a job in this country. You have people from all around the world to include the Middle East, to include countries that have. Very severe problems with terrorism. You know, just at the end of last year, there were reports, which the administration confirmed, of several Uzbek men who transited through Turkey with the help of an ISIS facilitator who got to our border. Just last week, a Somali man who was known on the terrorist watch list was arrested, even though he had been released in the country over a year ago. I mean, we have no clue who's crossed into our country and what kind of harm they may intend for Americans. To say nothing, again, of the fentanyl, almost all of which comes from the Mexican border and is killing more than 100,000 Americans a year. Now, overseas,
3: Secretary Gates at one time said that President Biden has not made the right international foreign policy decision in 40 years. It's a mess. we we got how many countries are involved shooting at each other? Uh, and, uh, uh, and and the Red Sea and the Suez Canal, and what they managed to do, price of oil was down to $69. Well, it's back up to $79, and, and you know, for a $10 difference in the price of world oil is a billion dollars a day. And who, who gets the money? Tell us about your vision of what the heck is going on during our quasi-world war right
1: now. John, the the only thing I would say to correct or or modify Secretary Gates's observation about Joe Biden is it happened 10 years ago. So now we can make it 50 years in which he's been wrong on nearly every major national security foreign policy question of his public life. Um, All of the chaos and war you see around the world is a direct result of Joe Biden's weakness and, and his appeasement of our enemies. Look what happened in Afghanistan in his first year in office. We didn't just lose Afghanistan disgracefully, but it signaled to people like Vladimir Putin or the Ayatollahs in Iran that they could push around this president, that Uncle Sam had a kick me sign on his back. It's not a coincidence that Vladimir Putin began to marshal troops on Ukraine's border just a few weeks after the collapse of Kabul. And then after he invaded Ukraine, President Biden has pussyfooted around for two years, not providing Ukraine with the kinds of weapons they need and the quantities they need to actually succeed as opposed to just barely avoid losing. And of course, as you said, in the Middle East, not just since the October 7th atrocities, but since the very beginning of the Biden administration, Iran and its terrorist forces throughout the region have been trying to kill Americans, and we've barely responded. And when we do respond, we usually shoot a bunch of empty buildings in the middle of the desert. And what do we have now? The situation where we've had three brave American soldiers killed and dozens wounded, many in critical condition. Again, all as a result of Joe Biden's weakness.
3: Senator, I, I can't believe—I mean, President Biden is at the new low of acceptance. I don't know who is saying, yes, I'm going to vote for him. I, I I, can't phantom it. I mean, uh, I believe uh, last week there was a joint thing about banning certain batteries from for electric cars in China by both Democrats and Republicans. And Joe Biden vetoes the bill, I heard.
1: Sure. I mean, and Joe Biden makes Jimmy Carter look like Ronald Reagan on the world stage. And I suspect he's going to make him look like Ronald Reagan when it comes to the election this fall as well. The president's president unpopular for a reason. His policies have failed. His leadership has failed. And that's why the American people are ready to turn him out of office and elect a Republican. I believe that'll be Donald Trump, who I've, I've endorsed. But they definitely, they definitely are tired of Joe Biden and want to change in course.
3: What else bothers you? We talked about the international war problems that we're having. We talked about our borders, our education systems under attack. What, do you, what say you about that? It is that? By,
1: by, by a bunch of left-wing radicals who don't want to teach children how to be good citizens and good Americans, but rather tear down the foundations of America from within, something that Joe Biden has aided and abetted through his Appointments to his Department of Education and Department of Justice, and that Democrats across the country are advocating as well.
3: We got a minute left. Anything else bothers you?
1: I mean, I'm sure there's well, a lot of stuff, I but what? The... Get everything off my chest. chest you gotta get it off your chest, John. But at every turn, Joe Biden has lowered the quality of life and standards of living for working American families. Inflation is still too high. People can't afford groceries and rent. Crime is increasing. They're worried about their kids walking down the street. Our border is wide open. The world is in flames. At every turn, you can trace these calamities back to Joe Biden's decisions. This is not something that just happened to Joe Biden and he had bad luck. This is something that he actively caused, and that's why the American people are ready to turn him out of office.
3: He made poor people poorer. He made the middle class poorer. Interest rates uh, are still very high and and uh, gasoline i mean everybody buys gasoline every day well senator cotton thank you so much for reporting in from the great state of arkansas i love arkansas it's a great state and uh, i have many friends there as you know and um, uh, we'll talk again real soon
1: all right great thank
3: you john Thanks, you be you. this is the cats round table we'll be right back welcome back to the cats round table us today is Dick Morris, was Trump's advisor, was uh, President Clinton's advisor. Dick Morris, give us an update. What is going on in, in the United States right now and in the elections?
4: Well, the, the question now really is what will Biden do? It's clear that he's losing. It's clear that Trump is going to be his opponent. And it's clear that Trump has secured a significant lead in all the swing states. So he's not going to go quietly and peacefully into the night. The question is, what is Biden then going to do? How do the Democrats play this? And I suspect that one of the major options is that they may decide to replace Biden at the last minute with Michelle Obama as, as the candidate. I think they may wait until a week or two before the or two or three weeks before the convention. And then all of the delegates, the delegates that Biden will have then and have him release them. I think that, that there's a feeling among all voters and party leaders also that Biden can't win, that his candidacy is, is fatally flawed, and uh, it's going to get worse as he deteriorates. And that the only option here is to replace him. Now, I can't replace somebody like Gavin Newsom or somebody else who's white. Because you have Kamala Harris standing in the way. If you take Biden out as president and you put somebody else in, the blacks are going to say, well, it's got to be Kamala Harris because she's next in line. But the problem is that Kamala is even worse than Biden her ratings are even lower. So there'll be a feeling that we can't replace Biden with any white candidate. It's got to be a black candidate and preferably a black woman. And that's be opens the door for Michelle Obama. And the Democrats, I think, are planning this sort of wow surprise at the last minute where they put in Michelle, and all of a sudden, all the negatives on Biden go away because he's not running, and his record is no longer at an issue. And people can rally around Michelle just like they did around Barack when he first came out when he, was put, when he first came out into politics. I think that the important thing here is for us to understand that that's coming and to prepare for it by explaining to people who Michelle is, that she's we're basically a racial separatist who thinks that blacks and whites should, that blacks should incubate their political strength separately from whites and not be part of the mainstream, who supports affirmative action and supports reparations for slavery and all kinds of measures that are way to the left of what the people want.
3: Princeton University never unlocked what they had locked up on Michelle Obama. I asked all my friends that went to Princeton. I said they can't understand it because you know if, if she's going to be a a position of importance in our country, she they have to release it.
4: Yeah, well, the hint of what some of that might be because we do have the uh, dissertation she wrote. She was, was a thesis in Princeton where she wrote about the importance of separating the races and that if you uh, integrated them, blacks could not develop their political power and that you needed to basically to nurture and grow black political power separate from whites and basically urging, you know, fact segregation based on race, uh, certainly in an incubator period, while blacks acquired political skills and power.
3: So you think it, it, it could be Newsom and uh, Michelle Obama?
4: No, not Newsom. I think it's going to be Michelle. Oh, well, you think Michelle it's going to be Michelle? Yes. Michelle, Michelle Obama and, and,
3: and, and keep. Uh, no. Okay.
4: They no, they can't. They'll have a new vice president. <laughs> But the, but that's a detail. The important point here is that they're going to replace Biden in, as a candidate with Michelle. And uh, all the things we're saying about Biden, all the things he screwed up, immigration, the border, all that become irrelevant because there's a whole new candidate in town.
3: So what are they going to so, promise Michelle for going away?
4: Uh, Kamala for going away. Staying alive. <laughs> a pension. <laughs> Green pastures.
3: I heard rumors that you're going to promise her becoming a Supreme Court justice.
4: Oh yeah, right. That would be great. <laughs> that was wonderful.
3: Well, you know, you okay. know, you know, you know, the Democratic Party tells Michelle, "Trust us." What? She they say, "Trust us. We we deliver."
4: Trust us. Yeah. Sure. Sure.
3: You're on from twelve noon to two in the afternoon. What are you going to be talking about?
4: About Michelle. About the dangers. And about what Biden is going to do with with his terrible poll numbers and what options the Democratic Party has. and Some of them are really horrific.
3: I'll be listening, Dick Morris, from 12 o'clock to 2 o'clock. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk to you later.
5: com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno.
0: The Cats Roundtable.
3: What is today is uh, Senator Tom Tuberville, and he's from the great state of Alabama. He's asked me to call him Coach. Well, Coach...
6: 40 years, John. 40 years. You were 40
3: coaching. years as a coach. Yeah. My God. I mean, did you do well?
6: I did pretty well. I've, I won close to, I guess, 65% of my games, and... Uh, I beat Nick Saban uh, four out of seven. That was pretty good.
3: Wow. Senator, we're in trying times right now. The last week, I had Mike Pompeo on uh, the show, and I asked Mike Pompeo, I said to him, how many countries have to be at war before you call it a world war? We're almost there.
6: Oh, we got fires all over the world, John. It's it's scary. I'm on Armed Services Committee, so I go through all these classified hearings and listen to everything that's going on, there's a lot more than, than meets the eye, and it's really scary because we, as we speak with Joe Biden as president, we're, we appease everybody, we're riding the fence right now, we, we don't take a side, and sooner or later, we're going to have to step forward as the big boy on campus and say, listen, enough's enough, or we're going to get involved, but right now, we're just we're straddling the fence, and I tell you, one thing that scares me is, is our military. I don't know whether we are. As If you look back in 1991, we were strong. Uh, we had no problem recruiting young men and women to, to get in our military. Our military industrial base was strong and, and was growing. Uh, we had people actually in this country would work, you know, that would actually go to work and help us build the things that we needed to to secure this country and our allies, and I don't know where we're at now. I just I we're not in good shape. No. I
3: understand a couple of days ago the Navy made a decision that they're going to enlist non-high school graduates. Yeah, and, and uh, wow, all uh, well, I can say is wow. Uh,
6: but Senator, you know what that leads to, though? James? Uh, yes, at it, it least illegal immigrants coming in the country. They're going to put them in our military. That's exactly wh- where that's coming from. So they're dropping the standard. Of of what it takes to get into our military, and I heard a stat last year of eighteen, nineteen, twenty-year-olds that could go into our military. Uh, there's about two and a half million eligible that that are that age, but only two hundred and fifty thousand are eligible to get in our military because of felonies, drugs, non-educated. I mean that that is really really tough to get a, a strong military uh, from and that that loves this country.
3: Well, Senator. I understand a lot of military-aged migrants, male migrants are coming in, and I understand uh, Christopher Ray, the FBI director, has pressed the red button that he is scared that something could happen.
6: There's no doubt it's coming. I was at the border probably two months ago, and there were several hundred from China, Chinese kids that are kids, 18 to 35, and they had brand new luggage. Now, wait a minute. Uh, if you're walking all the way up through uh, uh, Central America, you don't have new luggage when you get to the border. Uh, there's, there's something going on right now with what's happening at the border, not in just in terms of people that are looking for a better place to live. People are being sent here for a reason. And Christopher Wray, the FBI director, knows. He understands. He sees the intel like I do every day. And uh, we're not keeping the people of this country safe. I mean, and that's the number one job of our government.
3: Senator, what keeps you up at 3 o'clock in the morning?
6: I would say education. Uh, The thing in our country right now, John, is I I recruited when I was a coach. I was in 49 of 50 states, went in high schools, talked to parents all over the country. And I've seen the last 15 years of how our education uh, has dropped in terms of what we're teaching, how we're teaching it. We don't teach reading writing and math and science anymore. We're all into this social justice agenda, the DEI, the the core curriculum that uh, is something that they're teaching that you and I wouldn't understand if we went back to school. We're not teaching them the basics of being a true American. And so if you're not educated, how do you survive in a complicated technical world that we live in today? So the the direction our education is headed, and you, you and I talked about Vivek. You know, and he's big on the education part, too. He says he would, if he was president, he would shut the education department down. I totally agree with him. Shut it down. Send all the education back to the states. Let them have their own education department, which most of them do anyway, and get the damn federal government out of it. It doesn't need to be an education.
3: At least you'll straighten out a lot of the states. Exactly. Maybe not Massachusetts, but a lot of the
6: states. (laughs) Well. A lot of them are on their own than they should be because you have different cultures. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, put your hand over your heart, know the pledge of allegiance, understand the history of this country, and quit trying to attack the history of the country. That 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 is one thing that just really upsets. Our me. country,
3: Senator, coach, our country is under attack. Whether it's fentanyl, our borders, our education system, so many areas are under attack. I want to thank you. Uh, Senator, for being on the show today. And uh, Coach, keep your eyes open and and help America stay America. Thank John, you so much.
6: It's going to be a bump, bumpy 10 months. Thank uh, you so much. List. God bless
3: you. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to wabcradio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts And play back your favorite segment. What is today is Roger Stone. He's been through so many messes because of being President Trump's friend. Roger Stone, welcome to our Sunday morning show. And there's so many things going on. I don't know where to start anymore.
2: John, uh, it's an excellent question. Uh, Today on my show, The Roger Stone Show, which airs, from 4 to 6 Eastern time, I interview the independent journalist, Matt Taibbi, who has uncovered an enormous governmental plan to strip the next president of civilian control of the army, which is being done in anticipation of the potential election of Donald Trump. It's a NBC has reported lightly on it, but it's, a, it's an incredible story.
3: I hope folks tune in for it. Well, I will tell you, I mean, that is an incredible story. Now, last week uh, on your show, uh, you came out with some tremendous analysis on uh, New Hampshire and and how Trump's win should have been a lot larger. You want to tell that
2: one more time? Sure. I think if there's any place uh, in the early primary lineup where there was any opportunity for any challenger to catch Donald Trump, that would have been New Hampshire. That's because, under New Hampshire state law, Republican primary participation is not limited to just Republicans. It's ironic because independents are allowed to vote in the New Hampshire Republican primary, but technically only if the Republican state committee approves it, which they never actually did. Nonetheless, the secretary of state allowed non-Republicans, meaning registered independents, on really, uh, to vote in the Republican primary. And also, if you were a Democrat and you wanted to vote in the Republican primary, you had to change your registration to independent by October 6th. About 8,000 people did. Nonetheless, if you looked at the vote of just Republicans, Donald Trump got 70% of the vote among Republicans. It was Nikki Haley made the ground that she did make Almost largely among independents voting in the Republican primary. She still lost by a solid double digit margin of eleven points. Trump spent all told about eighteen million. Nikki Haley spent about thirty four million, had the active support of Governor Chris Sununu, but she fell short. Amazingly, what Trump doesn't get credit for is racking up the single largest total of any presidential candidate in the New Hampshire primary, both Republican and Democrat. So it was a solid win. Interestingly, the night of the Iowa caucuses, when Nikki Haley, who came in third, said this is now a two-person race, kind of got roasted for it, she turned out to be right, because when Ron DeSantis was polling with less than 5% in New Hampshire, he dropped out, and the polling showed that the overwhelming second choice of the small pool of desantis voters well they went to donald trump in the meantime uh the small number of votes probably less than five percent who were for chris christie their overwhelming second choice was nikki haley Uh, john i think it's all downhill from here in other words nikki haley has chosen not to compete in the nevada contest where there's a non-binding beauty contest, preferential primary, but the actual delegates will be selected in caucuses. She's not not competing in those caucuses. And then it goes to South Carolina, her home state. She said the night of the New Hampshire primary, she had to do better than she did in New Hampshire, where she got 43% of the vote. Right now, the latest polls, I particularly respect uh, Tony Fabrizio, the pollster, He has her at 34% in her home state.
3: And why is she staying in? uh, What's the strategy of staying in for South Carolina if it's going to embarrass herself and, and lose by so many points? Well, there are two possibilities.
2: It's very interesting. An analysis of her donors, big donors, and the big donors of Joe Biden shows a huge amount of commonality. In other words, people who gave... Large contributions to Biden would later give large contributions to Nikki Haley. This, I think, would lead one to believe that the goal of her campaign is to try to damage Donald Trump going forward. Even in her losing in Iowa, losing in New Hampshire this week, past week, losing in Nevada, she continues to garner massive press coverage, and she continues to attack Trump, for example, saying that the verdict in the Eugene Carroll case this past week was justified. I don't know any Republican who agrees with that. So either she is hanging in the race in an effort to damage Trump because her real goal is, who knows, perhaps. A-
3: she actually said that the $83 million verdict was justified?
2: Yes, she absolutely did. She said she believed in the jury system and the jury was right.
3: Unbelievable. That's unbelievable, because I don't know anybody that said it's right. I mean, uh, it's a made-up number. I mean, is she being paid by Democrats to hurt Trump, a a president that she used to work for?
2: I think she's being popped up by Democrats. Or perhaps, perhaps, she thinks that by hanging in, she can force her way onto the ticket for vice president. But the nature of her attacks on Trump have been so shrill... Particularly her comments about this defamation case, the E.G. Carroll case, where, as you know, John, Trump was really not allowed to offer any cogent defense, I think it destroyed any chance whatsoever she has of actually getting on the ticket. Now, she says she's going to stick in after South Carolina. Let's see if she says the same thing. She's, she's really looking at an almost two-to-one defeat there in the coming weeks.
3: It doesn't seem sensible, and she used to be a somewhat sensible woman, and she either lost it or she's being paid to attack uh, Trump. I I don't know which one of the two it is, maybe both. Anything else you want to say to our people? Yeah,
2: I think uh, what's interesting in both Iowa and New Hampshire and in the country is immigration is very clearly emerging as the number one issue of the 2024 presidential campaign. The entrance polls in Iowa showed it, the exit polls In New Hampshire showed it, the television coverage that we're seeing every day. And I'm baffled by a bipartisan bill in the Senate pushed by Senator Schumer, the Senate Minority Leader, and James Langford, the Republican senator from Oklahoma, that would set illegal immigration standards at 5,000 illegals a day. That's 155,000 a month. That's 1.8 million illegals uh, every year. Mayor Adams has correctly said this is going to destroy New York City. The cities are bursting financially at the seams, trying to pick up social costs. Somehow, Democrats think the passage of this open borders bill, limited but more open borders bill, is going to take this issue off the the table for voters. I don't see it. I really don't. As long as we have the social welfare costs, as long as we have the crime epidemic as long as we have the fentanyl epidemic uh, i think this is going to continue to be the number one issue in the country it doesn't go away even if this legislation passes both houses and biden signs it into law and john as you know biden is now saying he wants to close the border but the republicans won't give him the tools he's had the legal authority and the financing to close the borders the entire time donald trump did it border crossings under his presidency, illegal border crossings, had trickled to almost nothing. Biden has always had the ability
3: to close the borders. He has just chosen not to do so. Roger Stone, I'm looking forward to listening to you at uh, 4 o'clock today, and uh, God bless you, and God bless America, and we'll talk again real soon. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me on. With us this morning is Dr. William Parker with an update. Uh, William Parker was in the Navy. He was Chief of Staff of the U.S. uh, Naval Surface Forces. Right now he's CFO of the Parker Maritime Institute Technologies, a lot of technology. Dr. Parker, tell us, uh, you did your homework. What's the update on uh, the Middle East and what's the update on Israel?
5: Uh, John, uh, great to be back on your show. Uh, I'll give you a snapshot here in just a couple minutes. Uh, you know, Iran is using 40 plus proxies to include Hezbollah and Hamas and the Houthis to weaken the Israelis before Iran potentially invades Israel itself, and that's what I think they're they're leading up to. Uh, meanwhile, China and Russia continue to do their own weakening of the uh, United States, working on uh, Ukraine and, and Afghanistan. The Russians and the Ukraines are using American elections to pit political foes internally. This is a very interesting time indeed. But what's interesting within the Middle East is that, uh, you know, 20 years ago, many of us said that if you look back at or you look forward, there were a couple of things that were going to happen. We were going to have declining economies. We were going to have militaries weaker in the Middle East. That The new leaders would much less likely want to cooperate with the United States, and that's exactly what we're seeing happening right now. So, what you have is over 10 fronts or 10 conflicts going on right now in the Middle East. I mean, I can go into those if you'd like to.
3: Tell me whatever you can tell me. The, the big item that we talked about the other day is 85% of the Israelis have moved out of the area where Lebanon is, or close to, and 45,000 troops of Israeli troops have been moved into that area, and 15% of the Israelis refused to move. And Hezbollah could be doing attacking. Have you got any readings on that?
5: I, I do have readings on that, and you're right, it's 15%, and that number may actually be uh, growing now because there are a lot of Israelis that say, we're not giving up our borders. Sound familiar? So they're, they're pushing back on this, and they think those numbers you're going to see continue to rise instead of decrease. And, and meanwhile, Israel is fighting on four fronts right now. They've got Hamas on the southern borders. They've got Hezbollah, who's, who's launched over uh, 700 attacks now on the northern borders with Lebanon, as, as you just brought up. Israel still has no peace with their 16 Arab governments that are their neighbors, which is a very big deal. And then in addition to that, you have this fourth front of a shadow war with Iran that's playing out in Syria. So there's a lot going on just with Israel alone, not to mention the Houthis and their three fights that are going on.
3: The key thing is, I want to know if if they're going to try to evacuate the 15% that are still there. Or the other option is if they're going to bomb to knock out all the tunnels. I understand Hezbollah has the same kind of tunnels as Hamas. And they're going to come in through those tunnels to attack the 15%. So what what do you think is more likely? Uh, Evacuate the 15% and knock out those tunnels or what?
5: Uh, I think that the 15 percent will will back away from those tunnels a bit, but will still be around. I think that you'll more likely see um, flooding of those tunnels and or high power put in after the flooding of the tunnels as opposed to just pure bombing because of the depth and complexity of them. So that's more likely. But I do think that's going to happen. And, you know, I think that uh, I think that the leadership in Israel faces the same problem that Zelensky faces in Ukraine right now, which is you have to make sure that you remain popular and you're supported in your efforts. And Zelensky isn't sure that he wants to fire the chief of his military. And similarly, I think that Israel is not sure that they want to have a political fight against this 15 percent. So it's a very fine line that they're both marching along. And the
3: other big item is we don't understand. They got 150,000 drones. Why doesn't Israel go in with their jets and knock out all those drones right now before they fire them?
5: Yeah, those drones are basically acting the same way that the VX rockets operated during uh, World War II. So you're getting unmanned missiles basically coming in now and attacking but now they're smart missiles because they're drones that are controlled so why they're not hitting those at at higher levels uh, i'm not sure but that absolutely needs to happen uh
3: dr parker thank you for your wisdom thank you for informing all americans and god bless you and god bless america thank you so much thank you very much john this is the Catch roundtable we'll be right back welcome back to the Catch roundtable radio What's going on with AM radio? Six months ago, there was a lot of talk about it. Six months ago, they they said that they're going to discontinue AM radios in many, many, many cars. With us today is Curtis Legat, and he is the president and CEO of the National Association of Broadcasters. Curtis, tell us what is going on.
0: Well, John, thank you for having me on. And and let me just say thank you, thanks to you and your listeners and, and listeners around the country. Washington, D.C. is now well aware of what these automakers have in mind when it comes to AM radio and the risk that it will be removed from the automobile. And so as a result of that, over that last six months, more than 400,000 listeners across the country have reached out to their lawmaker expressing concerns over the removal of AM radio from the automobile and asking them to take steps to preserve it. There's now legislation both in the House and the Senate to do just that, to require these automakers to enable access to AM radio in every newly manufactured vehicle, purely bipartisan, more than 240 co-sponsors between the House and the Senate. And we see real traction and prospects for passage of this bill into law this year.
3: Well, I I look forward to it because FEMA doesn't want it to happen because it's part of our national defense system. And... It comes down to two reasons. Like, like it's been happening in our, uh, our country the last uh, year, a couple of years, is we're knocking down our defense, knocking down our uh, – and maybe the auto-hairs the, the just want to do it electronically to charge everybody $19.99 for for a uh, radio connection. Which part of that do you think is true? Or both, maybe both? Well, what
0: what I certainly think is true is that The automakers uh, and the tech companies are interested in charging consumers for every bit of media access that takes place in the automobile, whether that's subscription services or data plans. They wanna own every bit of the commerce going on in the automobile, and today, AM and FM radio sit outside of this. We're available completely free to listeners across the country. And, and I think that that is what's really driving this, is you remove radio from the car, and everything else is something they can make money off of.
3: It happened to, to, to go along with the electric car movement, which seems like it's falling apart now. Do uh, you have an opinion on that? I think attaching this to
0: EVs uh, has been a bit of a ruse on the part of the automakers. Um, They have suggested that electric vehicles pose some interference to AM radio that can be easily resolved through some extra uh, wire casing, very, very low cost. We have uh, provided the automakers with all of that information on how to resolve those concerns, Uh, yet they continue to cite that as the principal reason to phase out AM radio. So my view is they're not actually interested in resolving that concern. They've got business reasons to want to direct consumers to other forms of media in the automobile. And what we're asking is that the automakers put public safety, as you just put it, and our national security uh, above their bottom lines.
3: I agree very much on that. In addition, would you keep our listeners informed on any particular Congress people that are not cooperating or any particular senators yeah, they're not cooperating?
0: Certainly. Well, the bill, the Senate bill, has now passed out of the Senate Commerce Committee. And, and just to step back for a moment, it's truly remarkable because this is one of the few entirely bipartisan leg- pieces of legislation in Washington, D.C. right now. This bill is co-sponsored by Ted Cruz and Elizabeth Warren and Ed Markey. You are not going to find a piece of legislation with that coalition uh, of lawmakers and there may be some different motivations depending on which side of the aisle you're coming from but i think it all is underscored by this importance of radio in times of emergency the fact that we are a fun medium where a lawmaker can go on and have access to the 82 million Americans that tune in completely free in communities across the country. And there's a the diversity of voices on the AM dial that don't exist anywhere else. In terms of the lawmakers, so the bill passed out of the Senate Commerce Committee. It was actually brought to the Senate floor And Rand Paul, the Republican senator from Kentucky, objected to the bill moving unanimously through the United States Senate. So he is certainly someone that I know listeners in Kentucky have already engaged and let him know their concerns. We are certainly working with his office to try to resolve those concerns. Certainly, Senator Martin Heinrich, Democrat from New Mexico, has really been a leading voice for the automakers on this. So I think the most important thing that we can do, though, is remind our champions. And Senator Ted Cruz has been incredible here of the importance of this legislation. And then our friends, the, the Republican leadership in the House of Representatives, the chair of the Energy and Commerce Committee is Kathy McMorris-Rogers. She is a Republican lawmaker from Washington. I, I, she certainly supports our medium here. We'd like to see that committee prioritize this issue in the House. So I think engagements uh, with those lawmakers would be really, really important. There is a page, a landing page on the Internet that all of your listeners can go to if they'd like inf- more information on this. It's dependonam.com, and it provides further information on the issue, as well as well as the ability to take action and do outreach either through email or through social media to the lawmaker in the district where your listeners reside. He
3: depend on am.com. That's correct. Rand Paul is a good friend, and I am surprised at him. And I think the one time he told me it's not that he's against AM radio, he doesn't think it should be regulated by his committee or something like that. Was that his reason?
0: That's exactly right. Senator Paul is is a great supporter of AM radio. He just has concerns about government over In a lot of different areas of the economy Which I think that you can appreciate What we have tried to convey to him Is this isn't about government Telling any one industry What it should or shouldn't do This is a matter of public safety AM radio is not some new technology That we're asking to have Shoved down people's throats But we are saying that In a time of emergency When other forms of communication go down Every American deserves access To our free lifeline And the fact of the matter is These emergency alerts that are disseminated from the federal government, they originate on 72 a.m. stations across the country before they then disseminate across the rest of the broadcast ecosystem. So it's tremendously important.
3: Curtis Legat, we'll call you again in a couple months or a month or so and uh, find out uh, anything new, but keep us informed if there's uh, anything sooner. We
0: will, we will certainly do that, John. I really appreciate you and your listeners' attention to this issue.
3: Thank you so much, and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you. The Cats Roundtable. With us today is Dr. Peter Mihalos, our in-house genius, a famous historian. He knows his stuff about medicine. And I told him that uh, we should do a a show called Live Long and Prosper. How do we live long and prosper, uh, uh, doctor?
7: Well, one of the major important hallmarks of aging And aging really should be labeled as a disease, and it's not because most of the bad things that happen to us happen with the aging process. So if our health system focused on anti-aging, many of the diseases wouldn't appear, like heart disease and high blood pressure and Alzheimer's and other diseases. But it turns out that one of the major periods that our body goes into repair, because we do have a repair system in our body, happens during sleep and sleep hygiene turns out to be extremely important and we all hear about that magic number around seven or eight hours of really good sleep because when one sleeps the brain actually reorganizes and recharges itself and it removes all the toxic waste byproducts which have accumulated through the day and what happens is that during metabolism there's waste products and the body has to have a mechanism of clearing out those waste products But in the brain, because it's an isolated area, it's enclosed in our skull, we have something called the blood-brain barrier, so that infections and toxins can't get easily into the brain. We have a system with a fluid called cerebrospinal fluid, and our brain basically floats in that fluid, and that fluid actually has a wave-like pump mechanism, and it's associated with brain activity and the electrical activity in the brain. And especially during sleep, they found that this material actually moves faster around the brain, brain especially during REM sleep. And when you sleep on your sides, they also found that the cleaning or the automatic dishwasher system that exists in the brain uh, naturally actually works more efficiently when you're a side sleeper. So that's another interesting finding that recently was discovered. So some of these Toxic things like something called amyloid implicated in uh, Alzheimer's and some of the other toxic substances that accumulate because the brain is very metabolically active. It's a small area, but it a ton of blood to feed it. But there are waste products to any chemical reaction. So that turns out to be extremely important. And then throughout the rest of the body during sleep, something called autophagy. What's autophagy? It's going around and cleaning up dead and dying cells. And during sleep also, the gut microbiome, when it's resting and there isn't food in there, we're focusing on immunity. And it's also working on cleaning up bad substances that are happening and also creating and generating hormones that occur from our gut and our intestine. And it creates some of the good and some of the happy hormones we have something called circadian rhythm which means that's why when we travel we have trouble adjusting to time certain things happen like something fascinating to me is that eye pressure for example goes up in the middle of the night and it peaks like 3 a.m to 6 a.m and that's one of the reasons why they tell people to take glaucoma drops at night for eye pressure because they want it to kick in at night because the eye pressure seems to kick in some people think it's because when we're in deep sleep our pupil dilates the colored part of our eye And that makes the passage of the drainage system in the eye narrower. So it's amazing how all these different things interact with the body. And sleep hygiene turns out to be something extremely important for health and anti-aging. And obviously, we want to be awake uh, and enjoy life. But it really turns out that we're designed to go to sleep when it gets darker and to wake up bright and early first thing in the morning at sunrise. Having light in your bedroom and any type of artificial light, telephones, iPads in your bedroom and TVs is not healthy at all because it sends a signal to the brain that it's daytime. So turning out the lights is very important. The other thing is when you sleep temperature, you can keep the room at around 67, 68. You're better off when it's a little bit cooler. You actually burn fat because your body has to warm up and when it uses energy to keep the body warm when the room is cooler it actually also helps with longevity and it helps with weight loss so these are some of the tips of the day to help our audience live longer and stronger
3: what else can we do to help the brain i mean we talked about that you have to get a good deep sleep i take magnesium at night and that helps get you a better sleep i think have you found that at all
7: Yeah, absolutely, Maggie. I take it myself sometimes when I need to sleep. It's a nice, natural way to sleep. Always discuss with your doctor first. It's always good to check a baseline of your magnesium level and your micronutrients. And that's one of the things that when they do a deep dive of labs, like uh, we had a discussion yesterday with Dr. Magdalena Schwartowski, an anti-aging specialist. They check like 150 parameters. They check your zinc levels. They check your magnesium levels and a lot, of, and even your calcium levels, which sometimes if they're high can be an indicator of a, a parathyroid tumor. So you really should have a baseline labs before you start taking any of these supplements and discussing it with your doctor. There are other supplements too. Low-dose melatonin is often used in jet lag to help reset you because it helps you sleep. Also, they found a, a root of a plant called ashwagandha also helps people sleep and it also in men raises helps raise their testosterone a little, a little bit so it's important to consult with your physician and learn more about these substances but yes magnesium does work but always check levels as we talked about before vitamin d levels a doctor tells you to take it but they forget to tell you follow up and check your levels again because it's fat soluble it stays in the system so you want to check your labs probably we talk about the annual physical, but if you really want to know what's going on in your body, you need to check your labs at least two or three times a year to really get yourself tuned up. Because we're like a car; we need oil, filter. We got to stay, we got to maintain the car. Because twenty percent of our destiny is genes, and eighty percent is how we maintain it.
3: I agree. I do it every three, four months, and thank you so much, Dr. Peter Michalos, and let's catch up again real soon.
7: Live long and prosper, and thanks for keeping our audience healthy with the great microphone at uh, the Cats Roundtable.
3: Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable. Every Sunday morning, we'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday.
0: I see.